outfit lock. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshalls gets away, Marshalls gets away. Marshalls still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. So, on this part of the voluntary tackle, we have a bit of a special guest happening. This this gentleman is, goes by the name of Simon Strawn. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. So, um, uh, so I'm Simon Strawn. So, I'm um, co-founder and general manager of Sport and Game Art Analytics. So, we're a, um, a sports analytics, sports and corporate analytics business that works in the specific area of what we call cohesion analytics so we've actually developed this field ourselves where we look at sports performance through the lens of the understanding between teammates so instead of traditional um, analytics of sport looking at how uh, players perform from kick pass tackle perspective uh, we've developed an understanding of, of, of how teams perform through uh, measuring the level of understanding between teammates and, and what we found is that the level of understanding is a far greater predictor of performance than skill alone you get five people in a room and ask them how to measure skill you'll probably get five different answers uh, so we've just sort of got another way of analyzing how teams not only do they work but how organizations put teams together which is the most important part of our work so when we look at organizations when we look at teams ultimately what happens on the field when you see a missed tackle or when you see someone, um, whether it's scoring a try, kicking a goal, or uh, scoring a basket in you know basketball, um, it's a function of the governance of the organisation and how that organisation has put the team together over a number of different years. Um, not necessarily um, about what happens in that particular minute on the game. So, so you know, we have a different sort of perspective on, on how uh, teams are put together and how they work. Um, but... Um, even though we have a different perspective, it's still pretty powerful. So our analytics allow us to um, predict outcomes of games pretty strongly. Um, but ultimately, that's around giving context to performance. Should a team won? Should a team have lost? How does that influence then um, the, the organisation to make decisions coming the following week? How does that uh, allow the organisation to make decisions within the season? Did the coach perform to expectation? Um, is the, is the organisation meeting uh, what, what they set out at the beginning of the year. So it allows, what we do allows sports teams and businesses in itself to actually understand how they're performing. Is there long-term governance meeting expectations? So, um, you know, that's what we do as a business. Excellent. Um, on the League Digest, ben, ben Darwin, who I'm assuming is your co-founder of the business. Yep. Um, yeah, that's right, yep. Yep. Uh, he mentioned how... It's rare for coaches or teams to exceed performance on a consistent level by a large amount. They're more likely to fall below expectations due to certain factors. Are there exceptions to that rule or is it a kind of a hard and fast thing? We found that it's we found it's pretty hard and fast. And 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 going back to what I said before around the our the idea around cohesion or the way we measure it, that level of understanding is a far better predictor of outcome than skill alone. You put a 
you look at a bunch of players that's skillful, there's a skillful coach, there's an expectation of performance. But when you measure it from a cohesion standpoint, when you measure it with our cohesion markers, there, there's an ability to perform based on that. That's a far better indicator of outcome. So when teams are perceived to be overperforming or underperforming, generally they are perceived performing to capacity based on the markers of the team in itself. So um, rarely do you ever find a team overperforming. And it could be because uh, you know a team has just potentially clicked for a couple of weeks or a particular season, or they've done something different in the way they play. The great thing about sport is, yes, there is always innovation. Yes, there are always good players, but they are quickly found out, especially in modern sport, especially with modern sport, um, with um, performance analysts and video analysis. Good teams will always be found out in that way. So if people do manage to change the game, it is fleeting in that way. And so if a team does overperform, say in rugby league, if they've got a really, really good, strong spine that manages to score lots of points in the season, you very rarely find that it carries on over to the next season in that way. So, And we find that across most sports, whether it's rugby league, rugby union, AFL, basketball, um, netball, ice hockey, water polo, um, just all the different sports. It's rarely that a team can perform above the capacity of what what the, the level of understanding of the team is. And it's different for different sports. Different sports have different dynamics. The rugby codes, rugby union, rugby league, are very much defence-oriented sports. You have a 180-degree sport, so it's a, a defending line being attacked by an attacking line, yep. where AFL, soccer, uh, netball, basketball are 360-degree sports. So the dynamic is different. Attack works different to defence in the way different sports work. Uh, water polo, for example, um, defence is more of an individual aspect and the attack is more of a, a team aspect, uh, where in the, in the rugby codes, uh, defence is very much a cohesion-led um, part of the game. So it's not about the individual's ability to make a tackle, it's more about how the defensive line work together. So what we do find, though, is that a team will potentially... If we if we do find a team that's that's playing not to its capacity, it generally underperforms more um, than it would overperform, and that could be because maybe there's a new defensive coach, maybe the team's playing to a different pattern, maybe they have a new coach overall and they're trying to play a different way, maybe they've had players return back late to training. Um, you know, the NRL is a really good example for this. At the end of um, the Rugby League World Cup in I think 2017. A lot of the top teams had their players return late to training after the Rugby League World Cup. Um, and so they didn't necessarily have a good pre-season. So you had the other teams like West and the Knights got off to a really good start that in 2018 because they had full pre-seasons because they didn't have many rep players. But then the other teams bounced back once their players had you know, a good few weeks of training into them. So, so these, these different dynamics that um, at play. Thinking when you said that teams that perform over their expectations don't traditionally then do it the following year. I think classic examples then would be something like the 2005 West Tigers or the 2009 Parramatta Eels, where they went on really impressive runs of form. So, you know, one little thing perhaps turned it around. Um, and from Coming from your point of view, let's take the 2009 Eels that might have just been that they were close on a few things. So perhaps their numbers were, you know, had them 
slated to lose, but the continuity was improving by keeping the teams together. And then when, as they started to win, those numbers then keeping, kept increasing. Was that how it works, basically? Yeah, in, in a way. So the Eels have always been a team, it's sort of the, the latest generation of the Eels have always been a team that's been very sort of skill-oriented about trying to... Um, um, they focus on the necessarily the individual as opposed to developing the players, developing the team. So in that way, so you can get a good lot of individuals together. And yes, if if you hold that group together for a period of time, yes, they will become. Yes, they will be. They will be. They'll develop that level of understanding, and most importantly, they'll become strong defensively. Um, and so they can improve that way. But you get a couple of little, uh, you get a couple of weak spots and it can quickly collapse in that way. A really good example of that, and I know you mentioned Wests. The West is the classic example of that. So when they won in 2015, they actually, they didn't win. And I mentioned this before about um, defence. Uh, the rugby codes are very much based around defence. So generally, to, to win the NRL title, you need to be the best defensive team or one of the best defensive teams. Sure. And that's been generally the case. That particular year in 2005 when West won, they weren't. What they managed to do was outscore the opposition um, basically when they played. So they had a really, really, really good spine and they, they managed to score more than was scored against them. But that sort of thing isn't sustainable over time. But And so they actually had what we call, um, they were actually a low TWI team. TWI is... Um, acronym for teamwork index it's a measure of how the squad is put together they're a low twi team but they they actually had a high amount of understanding in that group because a number of those players had come together with previously shared experience but what happens is that when that comes together when you bring a bunch of players together that have previously shared experience you've you've brought them together from another environment rugby league being rugby league and recruiting the way it is if you've got a, a player that's had the ability to move from one club to another, it doesn't take them very long to then move on again, especially after success, because when you win the title, they become valuable and other clubs will chase them in that way. So they that group quickly dropped off. And then after that title, West, you know, West dropped off after that period of time. The other thing about that particular year in 2005, they actually went through a window. It wasn't a very strong season. And so the sort of the stars aligned for West in that particular, in that particular season. So, so West, you could sort of perceive that they look like they overperformed, but the sort of the stars aligned in that the fact that they had a group that came together, they came through, they were reasonably stable during the season, they got to the finals, the actual finals group were pretty weak, they managed to um, win the title, but then, then they quickly dropped off afterwards. thing that happens, that's been talked about a lot, I would say certainly since about you know, maybe halfway through the Queensland era of dominance there is all about club combinations being what they chase for origin success. And we were chasing that for New South Wales for quite a long time and obviously not finding it. But it seems like that the system that you guys use would be in favour of club combinations, particularly in key positioning, such as the spine, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that sums up why Queensland was so dominant for that period of time um, for their, whatever it was, nine or ten titles in a row. And ultimately they were, they were dominant because they were pulling clubs from, they were pulling players from stable clubs and they were lucky that they were pulling their spine from the storm that was an extremely stable environment. 
So effectively, that they were they were pulling that part of their that unit of their team from a very stable club below, and so they're able to do that and create those have those combinations. And that combination, the that combination, that spine, and when you throw throw in, you know, you throw in first in in there, but the the big three through um, Brisbane Norths, Melbourne Storm, Queensland, and into the Kangaroos. You know, they travelled for a, a long period together um, over that period of time. So, absolutely, combinations are really, really important. And then, and there's no surprise then. Sorry, that dropped off for Queensland. And so, the the, the previous Origin series and over the last couple of years was actually a little bit of a lottery because there was no combinations. Queensland don't have, you know, their clubs were not very stable. But then, surprise, surprise, New South Wales go to to Penrith and get some stable combinations out of Penrith, and they they are starting to get that level of dominance um, from there. So and 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 it was before. So pre, prior to that Queensland dominant period, a lot of the com- combinations in a successful New South Wales team were there out of their club comp. But the issue with when, when everything's equal, Queensland will be naturally dominant because they're only pulling out of limited clubs, where New South Wales are pulling out of more clubs. Look, to pivot a little bit, I don't want to get you in trouble, so if this question is going too far, just let me know. Um, could Can your system or has your system been used to perhaps assist people with betting to, you know, beat the odds in a way? You know, if the, the odds makers are saying that this is what's likely, but you guys could use your system and look and say, well, actually, this team is actually there, and so you can work out what the best numbers are. Uh, well, well, no, you won't get me in trouble. And the answer is no, we haven't used our system uh, for betting. But you know, part of as a part of a business model, there's no reason why we couldn't do that. But it's not. We don't do what we do to predict games. We ultimately we do what we do to assist clubs to create long term sustainable success. Part of that is the prediction part, and the prediction part allows. Um, um, decision-making processes within organisations. If you're going to lose or if you're going to win, allows allows an organisation to make decisions on that. So that, so there's not a thing called what we call action bias. If you know you're going to lose and you lose, you don't then have to go, oh, I need to change three of my team because we lost. Because you know the numbers are here, you need to get to here, you're going to lose the game. So it's, it's a case of building or, um, or, or other decisions that we can can be made, but ultimately the prediction side for us is around two things. One, context of performance, and when we get it wrong, which we do, just like the, you know the betting agencies get it wrong. Why did we get it wrong? What other piece of information are we we missing? What is the relationship? I'm just saying hypotheticals here. What's changed between the seven and the one for this particular game that might have changed the outcome? Why is it, or is it? And here's a really good example. What is the relationship, um, say, in when um, Cooper Cronk played for the Roosters against the Storm, how did that change the relationship there with Cooper Cronk knowing how the Storm was going to play in that particular grand final? How does that change the outcome of the game? How do we learn from that with our algorithms to understand what's the shared experience with the player to the opposition? How is that going to impact um, the game? So when we get it wrong from, from outcomes, is to understand why, and that just helps us understand the game much better. 
And so, of course, there's undefinable factors or unknowable factors, but you're all about just getting the ones that you can control, the ones you can know and using those together, basically. Yeah, and that's right. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So when we do know that, so when we know if a a coach or an organisation or a list manager or someone like that says, well, we're looking to get in a new um, hooker or a new fullback or we want to shift a centre to a fullback, just, again, hypotheticals, and we say, well, the evidence suggests based on 35 years of the NRL, which our database has, when this is when that's happened, this is the outcome. This is the outcome based on that. This is the outcome. It may not necessarily be a win-loss outcome. It also might be a this is the impact on scoring. This is the impact on adding to scoring or um, or, or whether or not it's, um, you know, whether it's been a positive or a negative to your ability to score or it's had a defensive impact or something like that. So it just helps us to understand the game better. Okay. So moving on to the the main reason that I thought of talking to you was specifically about the expansion that the game is, well, I put that in inverted commas, expansion, um, that the game is going through at the moment of, of the Dolphins, can't call them Redcliffe. Let's not start <laughs> on that one. Um, so so basic, basically what I was wondering is you what sort of predictions or maybe not even predictions, what sort of um, methods and systems should the the Dolphins be implementing? What players should they be recruiting? And should they be going multiple from one team to try and get combinations right from the start? Or should the, the first year... I'm asking you a lot of questions at once, sorry. Um, yeah, there are. Should the, but basically, how should the Redcliffe Dolphins approach and what is the best outcome or the realistic outcome you see for them in year one? Uh, look, it is a really good uh, multiple question question you've asked. So expectations, so the expect the general expectations will be different, I think. You know, the expectation to the punter off the street, especially the person living in Redcliffe, who will now be called a dolphin, uh, um, will be different, I think, to maybe the expectations of the organisation. Um, because there is the fact that it's an a, you're entering the NRL with Wayne Bennett. There will be there will be this expectation based on his previous success on that. But the expectation from our point of view will really sit on what method they're going to use to develop the club because there are different ways you can do it. You can go the you can effectively go the rookie method. You can go. Let's let's start with bringing young guys in and develop them over time, and so we can develop a long term model where we know that those players are basically developed within the system, within the Dolphins um, program, that they'll be there for the long term and develop um, develop over time and be really embedded in the in, in the program and potentially lead to long term success in that way but by doing that you will be absolutely shellacked in the first couple of seasons but that's part of the process so that would be uh when gws entered the afl kevin sheedy knew that they were only going to win a handful of games and he just looked at what are the positives we can take out of it and he knew his role in that was to develop the players and develop the club for the long term afl is very different so don't use I mean, GWS had made a grand final, but the AFL is a very different dynamic to the NRL. You can win quicker in the NRL. 
sorry, they also yeah, had a yeah. huge amount of bonus salary cap as well, which must have helped, I would assume. Well, well they did. They, they did, but but it takes a hell of a lot longer to win in the AFL than it does in the NRL. So even though they haven't necessarily been, you know, it's super successful, um, um, they got flogged in a grand final. But, but, um, 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 but yeah, it's not, don't think about the length of time for that one. But so there's, so you can go that way or you can, you know, recruit the best players you've got. Um, in uh, 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 as you can, and, and obviously the, the coach has got lots of links to players, and, I, and you can tell. I, I mean, I've never, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know the guy, but it just seems that he develops really good relationships with players, and it's, it sounds like he's got the ability to be able to um, bring players to the organisation. The issue is when you bring lots of players from different um, different clubs together. Um, you are going to naturally create a low cohesion environment. And even though if they are good players, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be able to play together well. And it doesn't, and the most critical thing, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll, they'll, they will be able to defend very well together. Uh, and that'll be a, a strong signal. How quickly can they defend as a group? Don't worry about them scoring tries. It's more a case of watching how well they defend. Um, with that way, if you and the real good thing about what Wayne Bennett has done with the clubs he's gone to, and he's never, he's actually never really been in this position. He's never been in a position to start a club. When the when the Broncos started in '88, they actually already had a lot of previously shared experience together. So you had guys coming out of the Brisbane system, plus they played for Queensland, plus they played for Australia. And so when that team started, they were really a functioning group that had actually played together. So it wasn't, it wasn't really a startup. And all the other clubs he'd been to, um, bar probably the Knights, were reasonably functioning teams. Um, but what, what Bennett's been able to do is create stability in those groups. And so, so if he brought a group of players together, he, He's got the ability to create that stability and create sort of that success or, or what we say the markers to, to, to be able to create success in the first couple of seasons. So if you look at the Titans, the Titans are a really good example of this. When they started in 2007, they started with all existing experienced players. There wasn't one player that was a junior guy that never played rugby, never played sort of, so there wasn't one rookie in that group. And they actually made the finals after a couple of seasons because they were quite stable. But that particular model is flawed because you start with older guys, there's a ceiling to that, and then they move on and you've got nothing coming through and you quickly fall off the cliff. Uh, and that's basically what happened to the Titans. So, yes, there's a period of success, of reasonable success, after a short period of time, but then it can quickly fall off. And that, so that's the issue with... If you do bring those players in, that short term, that the success might be short term in that. So it's what's happening behind that as well. The other model, which is harder to do, is the, the original Melbourne Storm model. When they started in '98, they actually started with a group of players with a lot of previously shared experience out of um, Hunter Mariners and the Perth Reds. But that was only that was could only happen because of Super League. Yeah. So, so if you can bring a bunch of guys together that have played together, um, that's almost the sort of the perfect scenario. And the other thing about that Storm team back in 98, 99, that was they're actually the most stable group that we've ever measured 
in the last 35 years of the NRL, ARL, New South Wales Rugby League as a group. They quickly got what we call the defensive markers down to a really, really strong level that they could um, defend really well. In fact, within I think within the end of their first season, their defensive markers were better than the um, New Zealand Warriors have ever been in their entire life in the NRL. So it says so it's, it says two things. It says about what the Storm did and what the Warriors haven't done um, over their period of time. So, so th- there was a drop off in obviously the Storm when they did it, but then they um, they had that long term nature sitting underneath. So, um, so there's different there's different outcomes. I, I think one thing that's, that that Wayne Bennett can do is create that that short term stability in that group that can actually have some level of success. Um, but it's going to be really, really hard in that first season. In saying this, he could be the genius of all geniuses, um, but it's very rare. We've never seen it. We've never seen it. And this comes from measuring the NRL, um, UK Super League, um, for years and years and years. So we, we can't find you know, that coach that can actually take something that's going to be really low um, and take it to a, a really high level. But we don't know what he's been, you know, we don't really know what. Um, you know, when he sat down in his interview for the job, what the expectations were, he said, whether he said, I'm going to be top four or I know we're going to be beaten but I, and I'm going to set you up for the long term um, from that perspective. So um, it's really ultimately what he does in the next couple of years is going to is going to play out in probably about five years for the club that whether or not it'll kick on or fall off a cliff. And, and so that's the really important thing for the Dolphins to understand how they start and then what that will do for them in the future. Okay, so a bit of a hypothetical then. Let's say you're in charge of the Dolphins and and the people, let's say you're CEO, but the owners of the Dolphins have given you a, they've said, here's what we're doing. In year one, we'll accept anywhere from, 14th to 17th is actually fine. We want three wins and that's okay. Year two, we you have to be able to finish 12 to 14. By year three, we expect top eight. Is that some A, is that something you think you could look at and say, okay, those are realistic targets, we could achieve it? And how would what would be the method that you'd go with to go about that? Um yeah, that, that would be realistic. And you could actually go about that in a bunch of different ways because what you haven't done there is actually said to me what's going to happen in five years because we've kind of got a saying in in our business you can win a premiership and destroy a club by doing the same thing and potentially you can do because you can you can recruit you can recruit guys have a higher level of stability hold them together be successful after two or three years but it's what's going to happen after that so as a club you just you've got to make that decision about especially the guy on the board when they sit there and say what is my role here in on the board is my role sitting here now is when my tenure finishes in three years is that the fact that the club has made the final or when i'm retired in five years and i'm on my beach house up in Cairns somewhere um that I know that, that I'm not on the board anymore, but now I know that, that the Dolphins have been in the finals for the last four years. 
and that was and, and I'm not getting no, any recognition for it, but I know that the work I did five years ago is actually helping that. And so that's that that's that when we look at it, that's sort of the way we look at it from that decision-making standpoint, because you can get the, into the finals in three years, but it doesn't necessarily help you in five years' time. Oh, for sure. I think it's about whether or not you're like a politician where it's just about get this done, get that done, and you know, look like you're good while you're doing your job and then screw what happens after I'm gone. Um, yeah. 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 But, I mean, yeah. I would think for a coach, the problem is for coaches is it's hard for – Wayne Bennett might be the, I think he's probably the perfect person simply because he doesn't have to really care about his next job. He can just say, my three years here will set the club up for the future and it doesn't matter about my results per se. Whereas I would think any other coach, if you, I don't know if you agree with this, but just about any other coach would, would be in the position of, I can't set up for six, 10 years. I've got to worry about my three years here, about my record. Yeah. I have to, uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, look, I don't know if, yeah, look, again, I don't know the guy, um, um, but there's no doubt he is a very, very good coach and there's no doubt he um, um, forms great relationships with his players and he's probably the best guy for this because of, um, effectively, because of his age and because of experience, because a young coach um, would, would be the worst case because they would be trying to get wins and they, their job because it's about rep, reputation and, you know, Wayne Bennett as a coach doesn't necessarily have to enhance his reputation any more than um, what, he, what he already has because, you know, he, he, everyone understands where he is in the world of rugby league and so he doesn't necessarily have to do much more. Um, and, and it's almost, um, you know, it's almost that um, comes back to that Kevin Sheedy uh, example that I gave earlier. So, um, you know, if that is the case, then you know it's, it, it potentially could be that that, that best scenario for them. Um, like I said, because that the, a young coach would be trying to make their mark and trying to win and trying to win early, uh, which will either lead to total disaster or disaster in a couple of years. Do you think when they announce their first team, you know, round one team list, or even earlier than that, of course, so probably by January of 2023, we'll know who the squad is. We'll know 95% of who's going to be there. You'd be able to look at that at that point and say, oh, you know, maybe they're going to do this this year, but this is the right way to do it. Or will you instantly be thinking, well, I'm a bit concerned, depending on what the squad, would you be able to look at the lineup and think this is probably good or this is probably bad for long term? Uh, yes, so yeah, there'll be there'll be indications um, on where they're heading in regards to um, the players that they've um, put together. But it's not just about the squad. It's the, the, one of the critical things about teams is their feeder system and their development system. And the you know the Panthers are a perfect example of what's worked. Um, for them, the fact that the majority of their guys have come through their, the Panthers system. So when you get the, the Panthers playing, the shared experience that sits in that first team, there's another bulk of it coming through their system in a way. So, um, and like I said about, you know, Wayne Bennett's first Broncos team, there was that shared experience coming from outside of the Broncos as well. So um, how they set up their, their feeder system and their structure underneath the Dolphins is going to be as critical to their long-term success than who they've just recruited 
in that way. So, you know, a really good example of that, um, of a team that does it well, that's done it well for a long time, is say the Melbourne Storm, where they've got two feeder teams. Um, you know, effectively one edge goes to one feeder team, is from one feeder team, and one edge, the other edge is at another. So when they come together, they've spent their time working together in their edges. And, and you know, the, the, the Melbourne Storm is effectively just a defensive team. You know, it's very much around a lot of the work they do is majority around their defence. And out of that comes high cohesion. Out of high comes cohesion comes the ability to attack as well. Um, and once you've got that high cohesion environment, players can play to capacity and they, you know, naturally play to their, their top level and their top skill level which is sometimes why when players do leave the Storm and other high cohesion teams to go to low cohesion clubs, they just don't get to play. They don't play the same way or as well because they're not playing in, a, in the same environment. Do you think a theory, a theory that I've heard and discussed with others, the, the big loser out of the Dolphins' inclusion, rather than being the Broncos or Titans, is more likely to be the Storm, especially based on what you just said, that one of their feeder clubs is, of course, from southeast Queensland, and those people are probably more likely to now be filtered up towards the Dolphins, I would guess. That there's not locked in yet at this point, though, but assuming that were the case, that would potentially make the Storm the big losers out of the arrangement. Uh, big losers because they... Uh, you mean because they're losing a feeder club or just losing players? Losing that source. Yeah, losing that source of players where they could go up and take people that maybe all these other New South Wales teams were fighting over New South Wales players, whereas, you know, there was a couple of teams that Brisbane didn't have immediate access to or overlooking that Melbourne could, you know, really get a bit more exclusive access to. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I'm not 100% certain because I, I couldn't tell you exactly if all the player, if all the Storm players are specifically from those particular regions. And the reason I say that, it's not necessarily about the where, it's not the where the players are from, it's around the when. It's when the players get to the feeder and when the players come through the system and when the players are recruited. Um, you know, Danny Badiris, who is a Newcastle Knights legend, comes from Taree, so it's not about where they're from, it's about when he came into the system. Yeah. So it's so if the Storm are, you know, potentially losing players to the Dolphins, they just get players the same age from somewhere else and put them through their feeder systems, put them through their feeder system. And I'm not saying that they have the capacity, I don't know if they have the infrastructure to be able to shift young guys around, but, I'm, but the, the, I suppose the point I'm making, it's not about necessarily about where the players are from. It's about when they get into their system. Okay. I'll, I'll say one, one last question just to finish it off. Who looks the best for next year in, in rugby league, in NRL? Uh, the, oh, the, I think the Panthers uh, continue to look good. And the reason that it is, is that they have the, the best ceiling to work towards. They've got mass, you know, really high levels of understanding or cohesion in that group, and they're still a relatively young group. So if that group stays together for a long, you know, a couple more seasons, they're going to have massive amounts of understanding. So, you know, their, their um, groups, 
sort of they'll be getting up to that sort of 2013 Melbourne storm um, numbers um, um, and you know level not just experience but also um, shared experience as well so um, so the Panthers are still continuing to be you know looking really strong the storm are all uh, you know are still strong but whether or not they've, they're, they're necessarily going to um, continue that way um, but um, that's a real positive thing about the Panthers is that they're just as such a, a great model of the way they've done it. And the thing about that is it's, it's been years in the making, which is something that a lot of clubs uh, are not necessarily willing to um, sort of take on board uh, about taking that step and, and doing that long-term development where there's, you know, there's a lot of NRL clubs that have you know, massive bases and, and massive junior talent um, but they d don't necessarily um, have the capacity to, to, to spend the time to develop it. I'm crazy in a team, in a 16-team comp where you've only theoretically got a 1 in 16 chance of winning a title any given year, you'd think that setting yourself up for sustained success would be the, the goal rather than win right now, but potentially at your own detriment later. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and you know, having had lots of conversations with a number of you know, a number of different NRL clubs. It's easy, sometimes it's easy for me to say this and, and it's easy for us to um, highlight these. I mean, there's lots of machinations that happen uh, within clubs um, and there's a lot of people's, you know, jobs and, and, and riding on, on these decisions and especially around performance, which is unfortunately one of the, the issues that, um, that often makes sort of short-term success one of the focuses uh, within clubs, but you know, ultimately for us as a business, and I don't want to sound too mercenary, but ultimately for us as a business, we need we need teams to get it completely wrong um, for us to um, um, to make sure that uh, what we do is um, to make sure there's a difference between the good clubs and the bad clubs. Um, well, I think as long as the West Tigers exist or, or the Cowboys, there'll always be a team getting it very wrong. <laughs> I think they, everyone has the capacity. Everyone has the capacity to get it right. Um, Simon, and, you know, and... thank, thanks so much for your time tonight. I won't keep you any longer. This is a, a lot longer than I thought we'd get out, of, get out of you, but the conversations flowed nicely. So appreciate it and might talk to you again sometime. No worries. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.